You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Twitter Tuesday here on the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Also part of the network is Peacock and Williamson, Brian Peacock, NFL analyst and Matt Williamson, NFL scout, bringing everything you need to know in the wide world of the NFL. Probably talking a lot about Julio Jones, which is also what uh, Ross and I talk about today on the Locked On NFL podcast. You can find me there every Tuesday. I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. My Twitter is Luke Braun NFL. The show's Twitter is Locked On Vikings. Of course, it is Twitter Tuesday. Before we get into the mailbag, a quick note, the Vikings started OTAs on Monday. So we saw as many veterans as would report uh, that hasn't been uh, officially like announced or anything. Media was not there. So we can't know for sure who did not report, but we can know guys like Anthony Barr uh, and Cam Smith, who are both coming off of injury, Cam Smith coming off that heart surgery re-reporting is really awesome to see Anthony Barr off that pec injury. Did not see any uh, Daniel Hunter in any of the videos. That doesn't necessarily mean he wasn't there. Although, I don't know, the Vikings probably would have made a social media deal about it if he were there and said, oh, look, the return of Daniel Hunter and stuff. So I probably not. But again, it's a voluntary thing. And a lot of veterans didn't report to the voluntary thing because of uh, COVID restrictions and all that, everything that's going on. Um, And the only time it matters is there are some players who would like forfeit workout bonuses for not reporting. So ultimately, it's it wouldn't even be a quote unquote. There was there was a mailbag question about this. Uh, there it wouldn't be a quote unquote holdout until it's mandatory uh, training camp stuff that players are missing to like get a new contract or whatever. Like like what Daniel Hunter would do. Uh, the other thing that came out of OTAs was the first team offensive line started with with Rashad Hill, uh, and then Ezra Cleveland was at left guard, and then Bradbury, Dakota Dozier at right guard, and Brian O'Neill at right tackle. Your heart may have skipped a beat. When you heard me say Dakota Dozier was on the first team offensive line, that's just how things always start. Whoever kind of was the entrenched starter is going to start there again for the day one of OTAs, um, but it only ever lasts so long. And now, you know, you kind of tell the rookies, you don't just get the job. You got to beat somebody to get it. I think the only exception was, um, I I don't even think Elfline started day one of of OTAs. Uh, I know Garrett Bradbury did, and that's the exception. Maybe Pat Elfline is an exception. I'm having trouble remembering, but either way... Rookies just don't typically start their day one. They got to beat out the guy. And I think that's fair, right? If you're Wyatt Davis, if you can't like meaningfully outplay Dakota Doji, you probably shouldn't be starting anyways. Um, But a lot of people get really, really upset about this as if there's some sort of like, ah, they're just like sticking to hashtag their guys. It's like the guys they just drafted are their guys. They just spent a first round pick on the guy. They're probably not reacting to the pedigree of Rashad Hill over that. (laughs) Pretty classic tradition. Make the rookies beat a guy out to get the job. I tend to support that. I think that's decent practice, and they got a lot of time to do it. So let's hop into the mailbag. I promised that I would answer one and only one Julio Jones question. Uh, so for those who are maybe out of the loop, Julio Jones got a phone call from Shannon Sharp on Undisputed, like on air, on TV, and they were like, hey, do you want to stay in Atlanta? And he was like, nah, I'm out of there. So they said, do you want to come to Dallas and or, or stay in Atlanta? And he was like, I'm out of there. And then he also was like, but I don't like Dallas. So he said he wanted to go somewhere uh, where he can win, which is a hilarious dunk on Dallas. And now everybody's asking, well, should we uh, should we trade for Julio Jones? So the one question about this that I will entertain comes from Matt Chinander, who asks, what is the percentage that Julio doesn't play for the Vikings 
in the 2021 season. And why is it 100 percent chance that he does not play for the Vikings? Um, So a salary cap reasons, the Vikings would have to do some weird stuff to make the salary cap work. Now they could, they would take on a $15 million cap charge, you'd get Julio Jones for $15 million and whatever draft picks you spend. Um, that's a, a phenomenal deal, right? And you can make that cap hit work. You could do void year stuff. You could ask him to restructure. Uh, you could do all sorts of weird things to kind of get that cap hit underneath pretty much any number. Right now, the Vikings have like under 4 million in effective cap space. That is over the caps measure for cap space you can actually spend after... Uh, you know, top 51 and signing all your rookies and all that stuff. There's kind of some procedural stuff that eats up a lot more cap than you think. And so they've got, call it three and a half, four million, something like that. And they would have to find a way to make like 11 more million dollars to make that cap hit work. Again, you could figure out void years to do that. You could find a way. However, when negotiating against a team that doesn't have to find a way, that's a cost that they aren't incurring. And so that means they're going to be that much more willing to up their bid than team that's already incurring a bunch of costs. So that's the reason that that kind of thing won't happen. The other reason is that it's going to be difficult as an NFC team. The Falcons have kind of been very forthright. They don't want to trade Julio Jones to the NFC. So you would have to pay more than, say, a Browns or a Patriots would because the Falcons would just be willing to take a lesser deal so that they don't have to play Julio Jones all the time. So the Vikings, I mean, look, it's not 100%. It's probably 99.9%. There's a world where the Vikings figure out a way to do it, but they are kind of behind the eight ball, both because of the salary cap. You know, there's only a few teams that both have cap space and also aren't like the Jaguars and in total rebuilds. Like there's the Colts, there's the Browns. I, I would guess maybe the Patriots are probably in there. Those teams are just ahead of you and they are at an advantage if you're going to negotiate against them so you have to be able to beat them and be willing to beat them by like a lot so you have to have a higher opinion of julio jones than say kevin stefanski does or bill belichick does and like do you are you higher on julio jones than those guys by like a lot i don't know maybe probably not it's probably an happening here in minnesota minnesota husker asks based on the starting o-line in otas is there any chance they move derisaw to guard or even move hill inside i would assume that's doubtful both seem like true left tackles but curious uh your intuition is probably correct uh, there's really no indication that christian derisaw would excel at guard you'd kind of just be moving him for no reason i've been saying for a while that uh christian derisaw and rashad hill would be a true competition at left tackle and we have a true competition the veteran starts with getting the first team reps that's just kind of the rule uh that doesn't really indicate anything about their expectation that one beats the other it, it, somebody's got to start somewhere right so you just kind of default with the, the the longer tenured guy gets the reps and you move out from there no it's a true left tackle competition it is a position battle whoever plays better gets the job and we'll see if christian derisaw is ready if not he will sit behind rashad hill until he is we got a lot more questions coming up, but first I want to talk to you about the NBA playoffs. Of course, the Bucks just kicked the crap out of the heat, and as I am recording this, the Minnesota Wild and the NHL playoffs are about to face off against the uh, Vegas Golden Knights in, I think it's game four of that series and everything on the line, so uh, good luck to the Wild. By the time you're listening to this, you know what happened in that game, but if you want to bet on NHL or NBA playoff results or MLB games or even NFL futures like where Julio Jones will end up, you can go to betonline.ag. They are your online sportsbook 
Outlook experts. They got everything, news, scores, and odds, even on stuff like reality TV and award shows, whatever you could dream up, you can bet on it there. It's free to sign up. It's really easy to make an account. Just go sign up, and that part's free. And then once you actually deposit money to gamble with, for the first time, enter promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, all one word, and you get 50% welcome bonus. That means for every 100 bucks you put in, you get 50 bucks on top of that in free play money, 150 bucks total to gamble with. That's free grambling money, my gift to you at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. I also want to talk to you about the best tasting protein bar on the planet. If you are trying to lose, maintain weight, but you still got, you know, sweet cravings, you want some of that good, good chocolatey stuff, uh, why not give Bilt Bar a try? It's low in calorie, low in sugar, high protein, high fiber, but it works for a late night snack or uh, after a workout or something to grab on the go in the morning, and it tastes delicious. It tastes like a candy bar, but it's way better for you than it should when it comes in flavors like chocolate raspberry and chocolate peanut butter and, and mint brownie and all these delicious decadent things that you just don't feel like you should be able to indulge in, but you totally can. That's at BiltBar.com. You can enter promo code LOCKED15, that's L-O-C-K-E-D, one five, and you can get 15% off of your next order if you want to get yourself a box at BuiltBar.com. Next up, we have a question from David James, who says, Kirk's been running for his life in Minnesota, zero time to throw. I think with decent line and time, he plays well, he has weapons, what say you? Um, so I, I have done a lot of content on this. I've written also at Zone Coverage an article basically about Kirk Cousins and his time to throw, uh, and how much of it is his fault and how much of it is the offensive line's fault. So you should probably know that quarterbacks own a little bit of that, um, that, you know, Kirk Cousins holds the ball too long and therefore invites pressure. That is a problem that he has, and he's not the best pressure eraser. He's a pretty below average pressure eraser. However, uh, fixing the offensive line does more, you know, per like amount that you fix it. If you make it a middling offensive line, that's a better off offense than Kirk Cousins being a middling pressure eraser. Um, and in, in terms of just like points left on the board and, and production left on the board, you get more of it back if you have fewer pressured reps than if Kirk Cousins gets better on those pressured reps. Um, and of course, you know, he's always had weapons here in Minnesota. There's always been either Diggs or Thielen, and then it went right from Diggs and uh, to Diggs and Jefferson. Got a killer check down in uh, Dalvin Cook, and I'm pretty high on Irv Smith. I think he gets forgotten as a weapon that the Vikings can actually use. So I think his surroundings are are, are pretty good. And yeah, if I mean, if he, if he can keep in a clean pocket and if those new rookie offensive linemen can win those jobs and excel at those jobs yeah it feels good more on the o-line from me me mcgee asking is it bad to be worried about the o-line still darisaw will be fine but everyone is saying davis will be the starting guard i personally get pat elfline vibes i'm hoping he pans out but i've been a fan for too long to blindly trust the o-line uh your skepticism is fair um but the pat elfline thing is pretty opposite i would say uh so it, it that he was an Ohio State offensive lineman is kind of the only thing he and Pat Elfline have in common. Pat Elfline was like undersized and fast, and he did really cool things with his speed, and he had pretty good technique. He was pretty polished, but he just had a strength issue that he never overcame, especially because the injury kind of hurt his time in the weight room. That injury he suffered in that NFC Championship game, um, I think really, really threw his development off. With Davis, um, the reason I think he'll be a starting guard is because he has the opposite thing. He has the strength. His whole deal is strength. 
he's a very, very strong guy, and that leads to a lot of recovery. I did a, a whole longer episode on Wyatt Davis uh, last week, I think. If you want to go look that up, there's also an article that accompanies that, so I'll be I'll just post all my whole author page in the show notes, and y'all can browse through for what you want. Uh, Sam says, how much does Patrick Peterson help this young secondary this season? So I think he helps in two ways. A, I think the locker room presence should not be ignored. It's hard to quantify. It's hard to measure, so it's hard to kind of like incorporate that into your projections but it definitely matters the vikings had a lot of trouble being you know in the wrong place with the wrong coverages and stuff like that patrick peterson's been around the block and he's also i mean he's just been on winning teams he's been on losing teams and i think just that kind of presence uh to to keep young guy young kids even keeled and, and and ready to work i think that totally matters but also just in being a guy that can handle a regular assignment so that the less young part of the secondary xavier woods and harrison smith also will have an easier assignment because they won't constantly be covering for, you know, Chris Boyd and Chris Jones. I actually have an article, another article coming out about Harrison Hand as well and how he actually did handle those uh, those assignments a little bit better. Uh, but for whatever reason, he couldn't get on the field over like Chris Boyd or Chris Jones, who, uh, to be fair, Chris Jones had a couple of really, really good games. And I think that that bought him a little bit longer of a leash. And then Harrison Hand came in later in the season. Maurice Morth says, do you like Kellen Mind? <laughs> OK, so for those who are unaware, uh, Arif Hassan did a big, long 5000 word article on Kellen Mond and when he tweeted it out he typoed and he said Kellen Mind and I think that's uh, everybody is just only saying Kellen Mind now uh you can safely ignore this um do I like Kellen Mond not right now for sure <laughs> he's pretty bad right now uh in two years maybe he comes in and he has a chance to be like a starting quality quarterback but I don't love the likelihood of him being the guy that takes over for Kirk Cousins he'll get his chance somewhere third round quarterbacks always get a chance somewhere maybe he'll you know compete with a rookie or be a bridge or something like that uh but I don't see him as you know the next quarterback of the Vikings for 15 years I think a lot has to change he has to develop at a pretty good pace if that happens though I mean that'd be phenomenal right Sean asks most concerned with secondary or O-line going into the season. Um, I, the secondary outside of, I guess, running backs might be the group I am like the least concerned with of all of them. I mean, the secondary is reconstructed. I trust that Patrick Peterson, he's not going to be on an island man coverage like he was at in Arizona. He doesn't do that anymore. And I think the Vikings would be unwise to ask him to. And if they do ask him to and he fails again, that's on them. But I don't know. I, I have at least a little bit of faith that they know what he can and can't do anymore. And I think Patrick Peterson can be fine in man match coverage where he has a little bit of help, but he's still using man techniques. I think that's a good fit for him and it should work out fine. I think Cameron Dantzler had a breakout month in December. I think he, that was like a breakout. And I think he's gonna, he kind of went under the radar because the Vikings were pretty out of it and nobody cared. But like, you best believe I and the Vikings noticed, I think he'll be a starting cornerback. I think he could be cornerback one by the end of the year. Um, and if not by the beginning of it, um, I, you know, the safeties are good. Xavier Woods, quality starter for years for Dallas. He didn't have a great year in 2020. Um, but I don't think that was necessarily his fault because of the problems the linebackers had in Dallas and all the, all the problems that Dallas had on their, uh, on, on their secondary on their defense. Of course, Harrison Smith is Harrison Smith and Mackenzie Alexander, I think is one of the better slots in the league by this point. So I'm pretty happy with the secondary. I could not be less worried about the secondary. O-line, yeah, I'm a little worried. You got two rookies maybe starting, and if they're not starting, that's even worse, because then it's like Rashad Hill and, gosh, Dakota Dozier. It could be Mason Cole winning that spot or something like that. I think Ezra Cleveland at guard, I'm still very, very worried about. I like that he moved back to the left. That's at least, you know, he can at least regain that part of his muscle memory. But there's a lot of tackly habits that he, he showed in 2020. A lot of bad habits that come from being used to playing tackle that 
hurt you at guard. He's going to, I guess, keep having those or he's going to have to get over them. I'm pretty worried about that. I'm not worried about Bradbury at all. Um, You know, people really get upset that he gave up 25 pressures instead of 15 pressures, which is a lot more pressures than a center should give up. And it ranks like 30th in the league or whatever. But it's like 10 pressures. Like it's like 10 plays. Like it's like one a game sometimes. Like it's not that like center pressure totals are really not what defines center play in my opinion. In the run, he's a god. Like he's insane in the run. Um, And I think as like doing the centerly duties of, of, designating assignments and stuff i think he does a good job of that i think that's the most important thing a center does and that doesn't show up on like pff grades or whatever so i'm a little less worried about bradbury i'm not too worried about o'neill even though he didn't play great in 2020 a little worried about the rookies a little worried about kind of like pretty worried about ezra cleveland so i'm more worried about the o-line um and i'm actually pretty bullish on the secondary chris asks which feels better nailing an ad transition or continuing your long line of dramatic negative outcomes if people do not support the sponsors of your show and to that i say you should check out rockauto.com Rock Auto is your one-stop shop for all the things your car could ever need. They're a family company, and they get it. It is hard to find the thing that is right for your car, the thing that's compatible for your car. So they have this insanely huge catalog. All you got to do is enter your make, your year, and your model, and they will make sure that you are getting a car part that is compatible with your vehicle. And they're not going to upcharge you like the brick-and-mortar joints do. Like, uh, they have different... Uh, prices for their retail customers and their wholesale buyers, Rock Auto doesn't do that to you. Everybody pays the same price. That means you stand to save a little bit of money and make sure you're getting the right thing. It's like the exact same part too. These aren't like knockoff parts. They're same parts from the same manufacturer. It's just aggregated differently through rockauto.com. So head on over to rockauto.com and at checkout, make sure you let them know that Locked On sent you. If you don't, I'm going to have to make a five-figure investment in organic skincare products and start alienating my friends and family by trying to hard sell them on Facebook. Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car could ever need. All right, continuing with the mailbag. Next one comes from Jorge, who says, Can you go into great detail explaining analytics? Like, I get DVOA and EPA, but it's still fuzzy. Also, can you do a deep dive into successes teams have when they follow analytics as opposed to traditional football operations? Uh, So I can't do deep dives in a mailbag, but I can answer the best I can. So uh, DVOA and EPA both operate under similar logics, where they look at a given play and they ask, was how successful was this play as compared to what an average team would have done the way dvoa does it is they look at what teams tend to get in that situation so teams that run on second and three get this many yards on average did you do better than that or worse than that and epa asks how much do teams score from this particular position so say from you know first and 10 on the 50 teams score a touchdown half the time so that would be three and a half expected points Uh, And if you do something that improves that position and now you have 3.7 expected points, EPA expected points added would be 0.2 and it would be positive. Positive EPA plays are generally a good thing, right? That means you got closer to scoring than you were before. Incomplete pass on first and 10 is going to be negative EPA. Fewer teams score from second and 10 than they do from first and 10. That's basically the difference between those two things. But by and large, they're both looking at each play asking, how did you do versus how other teams do? Was it better than that or was it worse than that and then adding all that stuff up to come up with like a composite score and that's generally the idea of analytics um that's just a better way to look at production you can just think of that as well you know it's like a 4,000 yard season or this much epa and this much epa is going to tell the story a little bit better than a 4,000 yard season will in terms of how teams use analytics most teams have an analytics department now so there's not really a team that like doesn't use analytics um but i would imagine you're asking about you know teams that don't go for it on fourth down as much or run the 
the ball too much. And I, I don't know. I think that there's probably some correlation. You know, you can up your chances from 51% to win the game to 54% to win the game. And you should do that. You should make those decisions. But I prefer to kind of take each game, each season, each team on their own kind of case-by-case basis. You know, why did the Titans lose to the Ravens? Eh, Maybe it's because they ran the ball too much and they made bad uh, fourth down decisions. I remember that being part of it. But also because the Ravens shut down Derrick Henry and that was the bread and butter of the Titans. They took what the Titans did best and beat it. And how they did that, I think you learn a lot more about the Ravens than if you just kind of cry a lot about, you know, how much they ran the Titans ran the ball or whatever. So I think there are definitely advantages to be gained in-game by utilizing analytics in your decision-making process about when to go for a two-point conversion, when to go for fourth downs, uh, you know, how often to run and pass and all that stuff. But I do think it can only drive so deep into the myriad of decisions that NFL coaches have to make. Analytics can't tell you really whether to, uh, you know, do a rip Liz or just to set up cover two, whether to slide a protection or not against this particular pressure look. Uh, That is all stuff that, you know, coaches will also have to do. Analytics can be incorporated into that. You can say this often, you know, pressure look when they give you this pressure look, they send this guy 10% of the time, that guy 20% of the time, they back everybody off, you know, 14% of the time, and you can do that and help inform those decisions. But ultimately, a lot of those decisions just have to be in the moment judgment calls. And sometimes that looks like, you know, stubborn playmaking. But hey, look, if your quarterback's got a broken thumb, and you know, the ball is slippery because it's raining, and you decide to run the ball a little more because of that, or shoot, let's not go that extreme. Let's say your quarterback's just having a bad day. Maybe you want to run a little more because of that. Or maybe your running back's having a really good day, and you found something where you can get a gap back against them if you come out in this particular formation or something, and you want to exploit that. Let's say you get their uh, nickel pass rush package out. Let's say the Vikings catch, you know, Hercules Mata'afa and another undersized defensive tackle, and then they go no huddle and run against you eight times. That happened in the playoffs. In 2019, San Francisco did that. They got a touchdown. They ran eight times in a row. They didn't pass once on that drive. So there are times when you can shirk analytics if you have a reason to do it. And I think finding what reason that is is way more interesting than just kind of putting everything out on a chart and saying, look, these teams did it more than average. These teams did it less than average. Now I've solved football. (laughs) But I think analytics can be really, really helpful when it comes to redefining production and trying to find various little edges that can kind of help inform our decisions. But but not make it for us. And I think too often uh, people take it to that that next step. Chad the Lesser asks, was listening to another Vikings podcast and the two hosts were talking about how they're consciously not fans. For teams I support, if something good happens, I consciously don't clap. Is that normal for media? Do you think it helps to be that dispassionate even if you root for the team? Uh, So yes, that is a rule in the press box. If you go crazy when your team scores a touchdown in the press box, you might get kicked out. You get in a lot of trouble for that. That's probably what they were talking about. I don't don't know what what podcast you're mentioning here. Uh, But if you want a good time, listen to some of the journo stories about the Minneapolis miracle. Because you can actually see, if you go to Minneapolis Miracle and there is um, the what one of the camera angles that is it looks like it's on a wheel I think it's the like corner of the end zone camera angle that then kind of rushes up and you see um, gosh I think it's Caleb Jones uh, tackling Stefan Diggs after he, I think he was the first one to get there and, and like all of them celebrating you see the press box and the press box is going wild so there's some really fun accounts from the Minneapolis Miracle and the journalists all breaking that rule during the Minneapolis Miracle because it was the Minneapolis Miracle really really wholesome stuff uh, folks Lucas Fuller asks, is injury prone a legit thing or are people just unlucky? 
Mostly, I think people are just unlucky. I think there's something you can do in the way you take care of your body, and there's some stuff that probably a personal trainer or an athletic expert could answer better than I can, but I think there are some things that you can do to make your body a little less fragile. Um, I think, you know, players who are who have more weight than their frame would generally support, I think are a little more injury prone. Um, you know, people who have been asked to bulk up, I guess, uh, that is a totally just a hypothesis. I have no evidence for that. I've never looked into it, but that's just what I would guess. Um, so I think there might be some things you could maybe identify if you were like a sports science kind of person, but I do also think a lot of it's just luck. Like, I don't know, somebody rolled up on your ankle weird. Like you can't train for that. It's just kind of luck. And I think a way to uh, differentiate it. If somebody has the same injury over and over and over, Mike Hughes, it was the neck and then it was the neck again. Now that's injury prone. That is a sensitive spot that could be re-aggravated. If you torn your ACL, that ACL, that knee is now going to be uh, a greater likelihood of breaking again. Concussions work the same way. If somebody sprained their ankle and then they hurt a rib and then they got a concussion and then they hurt their wrist, that person's just unlucky. That person's not made of glass. That's just, I mean, if it's the same, you know, uninjured bone that they've never injured in their life getting injured, that's just like pretty bad luck. Whew, I'm not even going to get close to all of these uh, questions, so I'll, I'll save a bunch for next week. Uh, Tone Center Matthias asked, did you see Zimmer? Do you, do you see Zimmer switching up his schemes after last season? So last season, Zimmer ran a lot of zone, a lot of spot drop zone, because the uh, off the street corners didn't know anything else. So he kind of couldn't like trust them to like play man coverage and carry a guy down the sideline. They just give up touchdowns uh, for a good time. Watch the Jaguars defense who just like asked their cornerbacks to do way more than they were capable of. And they, you know, gave up like 35 a game. Um, Zimmer didn't want to do that. So they had to play a lot of cover two. There's a lot you can't do in cover two and it kind of sucked. And so you kind of had to let the, the box be light. And then that meant Jaleel Johnson had to hold up on his spot and he couldn't do that. So there's a lot of stuff Zimmer couldn't do. I would say he goes back to the scheme that he ran in say late 2018 and 2019. If he feels like the personnel can handle that, that's what he wants to be doing. And that works a lot better than what happened in 2020. Um, so switching up from 2020, yes, but 2020 was a switch up that was forced upon him that he's just going to undo. That would be my guess. Last one I'm going to answer today. If I didn't get to yours, might get to it next week. So tune in next Tuesday. Joe Green, loved you in that commercial, buddy. Uh, do you prefer podcasts or writing? I prefer podcasts. I like being able to kind of talk out thoughts and, and not worry about my syntax and not worrying about my grammar and not, you know, I'll try to be as grammatically correct as possible. But I like the stream of consciousness of podcasts. I like being able to talk to other people when it's relevant. You'll bring in an expert on the thing. Um, I have a very cool guest that's coming on later in the week that I am excited to share. I can't really do that as much in an article. Um, I, I do enjoy writing a, a decent amount, and I do like writing a lot at zone coverage. I, I can kind of deep dive things, but I love the daily podcast format because it means I get to really hone in on stuff. I can spend a whole day just talking about Janarius Robinson, the fourth round pick just a whole podcast if you're a weekly show you can't do that you got to go through the news of the week you kind of got to cover every single thing um and and on a daily podcast i can really really explore ideas and because there's so many podcasts to fill i get to talk about every single thing i could possibly want to talk about and i don't ever have to cut anything that I really 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 love i can talk about philosophy i can talk about whatever i want um that just brings me endless, endless joy. So thank you all for enabling it by listening to my weird ramblings. Uh, and I hope you listen to more weird ramblings tomorrow. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. Joe's on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. Make sure after this show you go check out the Locked On Today podcast with Peter Bukowski covering everything. We'll probably talk a lot about Julio Jones, talk about the NBA and NHL playoffs and all that stuff. Everything in the wide world of sports under 20 minutes every single morning. I will see you guys all tomorrow. And as always, Skull.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.